Mass time and potting together. Brian Tobin on the line. Mass time and friends forever. And talking it up for mass time. Luca's hot, he's in the zone. The rest of the team is ready to go. Mass time. Oh. Tobin, that sound, that sound, that song, the best theme song in all of niche NBA podcasting. I am so excited to be back for Mavs time. I'm your host, Brian Gill, joined as always by the George McLeod to my Eric Strickland as my co-host, Tobin Hodges. Tobin, how's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good. Awesome. It's been a minute since we've done um, a, a full Mavs time episode, and I think that's been good for, at least for my health, maybe yours as well. Um, it's been a real weird season so far for our beloved Dallas Mavericks as we are, what, 27 games into this thing? Is that right? One mm-hmm. game above 500? Okay. 27 games in. <laughs> I just I just want to start with this. Okay, we're coming off of uh, a weekend wherein we saw the Mavericks blow a game in the the most ridiculous fashion I maybe have ever seen against the best, what I think is the best team in the league, the Milwaukee Bucks. I know the Celtics have a better record. Don't really care. I think the Bucks are the best team in the league. Saw that happen, and then they got obliterated by the Bulls without Luka, um, and then last night we watched them uh, beat a scrappy Thunder team with, I think, a pretty good win, but also like tried to find ways to lose down the stretch like they are wont to do. So... I'm I'm glad we're recording this now and not like Friday night, <laughs> um, because you would have to do a lot more editing. I think if if we had recorded <laughs> this like right after uh, that Bucks game, and again I apologize for all the text messages that you and and Dennis woke up to, um, because like I don't sleep real I don't sleep real well anyway, but I. I'm about to be 40 years old, Tobin, and I know that this is stupid, and I tell myself it's stupid, and I try not to be stupid, but I am, I'm affected by this stupid basketball team. Like, I, I, my mood and my, like, ability to function as a normal human are impacted by the Dallas Mavericks, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I need to go to therapy or something. And get rid of that. But it is it is the truth. I just want to give you... A, I, look, they have 13 losses right now. And what I say every single night to you is like, can we just lose normal? I just want you to lose in a normal way. Not super wheels off and stupid and unbelievably and historic and all these weird things. They have 13 losses. And I would say seven of them are wheels off what the crap is happening kinds of, of losses. We have up by 22 in Phoenix against the Suns on opening night, somehow lose the game. Game three of the season, lose to the Pelicans without Zion, Ingram, or Herb, and they're up by seven points in the fourth quarter. The Thunder, we were up 95-79 to 79 with five minutes left in the game, and Isaiah Joe... <laughs> Isaiah Joe scored 15 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. Which to, sounds to, like a generic, like you created a player on 2K name. It's like, not even a real person, yeah. it seems like. I know. Um, 
you know, like relatively, this is what happens in the NBA. Normal losses to the Magic and Wizards, although they were up double digits in both of those games. That's whatever. Like those are normal. Rockets without Luka, that's pretty normal, except that the Mavs shot 30% from the floor and 21% from three and got blocked 17 times. I'll still count that one as normal, but gosh, that's a weird one at the same time. The Nuggets loss is the worst officiating I've seen since the 2006 finals, I think. Um, Like, just full-on stole a game. Like, I never say that. I never... I complain about the refs a lot, but I never will say the refs cost us a game. That was a game that you just say, well, the refs cost us that one. We got to a point, Tobin, over Thanksgiving where I was, like, thrilled when we just got destroyed by the the Celtics and the Bucks because it was like, oh... That's normal. That's it's you're supposed to lose to the Bucks in Milwaukee and you did it in a normal way. I like that. That's fine. Yeah. Raptors without Siakam and Barnes and you're up 16 in the first. And then the whole team is completely shocked when the Raptors double team for the entire rest of the game. That was that was weird. Um, 14 of 29 on free throws against the Pistons and Killian Hayes, like for the first time in his life, made an outside shot. And then made like seven or eight more. That that was pretty wheels <laughs> yeah. off. And then you have this Bucks game on Friday last week, where you had the Bucks on the ropes. You're up by twelve going into the fourth quarter, playing great basketball, defending Giannis incredibly well with Maxi and Dorian. Both of them just did an outstanding job. Team re- team defending on him was great. Everything going well. And then you get to the fourth quarter, and miss seven free throws in a row i believe six free throws yeah, i don't know five in the last minute where they could ice the game yeah hardaway gets fouled on a three <laughs> with Giannis fouling out of the game on a, a a bad challenge that results in hardaway getting three free throws and he missed all three luca missed one and then Dorian goes Dorian I literally two, yeah. text. Yeah, I texted in one of our group chats because the Mavs were up one. They actually made a great defensive play to to hold that, to hold that one point lead, get the ball back. And I texted in one of our group chats and said, who's going to be the one who screws up the free throws tonight? And lo and behold, it was Dorian goes to the line and misses two. The Bucks then ran a great look. Credit to Budenhoser because that was a really good play design. Also, not credit to Jason Kidd and the Mavericks because it was so obvious what they were going to try to do, and the Mavs just completely <clears throat> farted it away on that. I mean, okay, hold on, though. It, it, it looked great. Don't get me wrong. Is it really that great of a, of a play design? It's just a back no. pick. It's because it, the Mavs are stupid and didn't it, prepare for it the right way. Like <laughs> It was great in that you... <laughs> you it was great in that they yeah. drew up a play because we haven't seen a play drawn up in the first 27 games of the season. Um, but also, yes, no, you're to- you're totally right. You, If you're designing a play, especially with a guy like Brooke Lopez like that, you do that. You say, you say, hey, here's our first option. We're going to run this action here. And um, and so it was Drew, I think, that was throwing the ball in. You say, hey, look for this, this lob over the top. But you know when you walk away from the huddle that the chances of that working are like, I don't know, 1 in 10 at most. And it was so open that Drew almost didn't even make the pass because you could tell. He was like, wait, what? How is he this? Oh, 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 here we go. Drop it over the top. Lay up. And then the Mavs just farted away down the stretch, as they always do. We'll talk about that in a second when we get to the the end of this with with the the Jason Kidd stuff. Um, 
that's going to be kind of the end of it, uh, of the episode. Um, and yeah, so 10 for 24 from free throw from the free throw line in that game against the bucks. That was a game you really needed to win. Cause then you had a, the worst NBA kind of scheduling where it's like 19 hours in between games. Um, you knew you're probably, that's a scheduled loss, even against a team that's not very good. Like the bulls, you're going to lose that game. Um, but even like, even take out all that stuff. That game was more important because you just, farted away a game against the Pistons. Like if you would have beat yeah, the Pistons, sure. yeah. then you can you can handle losing to the Bucks by a point or two. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's the fact that you've created this situation by losing a bunch of games you shouldn't be losing. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look, this in an 82 game season, you're good, you're not going to lose every not every game you lose is going to be like, yeah, they beat us tonight or hey, here's the thing, we couldn't make a shot, it, you know. It is what it is. You're going to have weird things that happen along the way. It's the way it goes. I get it. Really can't happen seven times in the first 27 games of the season. That's you're making your life so much harder than it needs to be. And that has like been a staple of the Mavs over the last few seasons. It's just like finding ways to make things more difficult on themselves. And that's what you're looking at when you look at these losses and you say, how did this happen? This shouldn't happen. That can't happen. Like that thunder loss was like literally historic. I think it, whatever the lead was at the time, it was the second time in NBA history that a team had lost that game. That's mm-hmm. unreal. You can't, you can't do things like that. If you are serious as a, a team that is trying to get into contention, you know, if you really are going to get to that place, you can't continue to do these things because they just are making themselves. They're just making a life hard on themselves. If you get four of those seven wins, um, Things are much, much, much different right now, and they should. Those, those. That's 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 not just anyway. Um, let's get into some of the positives, Tobin, because I want to finish on Jason Kidd and Christian Wood. Um, we never end up talking about Luca and Maps time because Luca is just always incredible, and his defense has been so has been great this this season so far. I've been really enjoying that. Most of the stuff we're seeing, the the criticisms I have with Luca are are usually so small compared to the positives that you see night tonight that we end up not even talking about him. And tonight's going to be more of the same. So Tim Hardaway jr. Hates coming off the bench. Tobin. He hates it. He hates it with all of his, his being and his soul. Um, I, (laughs) I would like to take just a small victory lap because going into the bucks game, the first bucks game, I texted you that day and said, I'd probably move Hardaway into the starting lineup just to see, if it works just to try something because he's been so bad and you're getting nothing out of it and you're getting nothing out of Reggie Bullock that I would try it and see if the whole starting thing unlocks him a little bit. I said that to you. And then that night, Tim Hardaway jr. Starts the game. He had six points, so it didn't work. It didn't work that night. But since then he's been on a tear in his last nine games as a starter, he's averaging 19 points, four rebounds. He's shooting 45% from three. He's putting up over 10 a game. Um, and just, his shot selection is still not great, but it has been reined in a little bit. And yeah, it I don't think it really helps egregious. him to be playing with Luca. Um, shocker. Yeah. Turns out that's. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It hasn't been as egregious. And it seems like in a weird way when he starts, he's a little bit more calm. Like he's not. Yes. Like when he comes yes. off the bench, he, it's almost like he, he knows that he needs to get some shots up to get his rhythm going. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I mean, it's we, we've said that before. You've said that before in in a 
hey, idiot, you shouldn't have to come off the bench or come off the starting lineup to be productive. But now it's like, well, okay, maybe if he does, okay, then let's just, you know, let's run with that. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, what else are we going to do at this point? So, I mean, yeah, I, I guess we'll got to give kid credit for that at the very least. The cool. offense was in such a bad place um, coming into that that first game where he was the, the starter. Um, you just weren't generating any shots. And a big part of this is Reggie's not making shots. Dorian's not making shots the way that we <clears> expect <throat> him to. And you don't have Jalen Brunson anymore to create any in-between shots and stuff. Um, so I, I thought it was, like, I'm not, there are many, many things that I'm going to be not complimentary about Kid with. But this was one of those things where I thought he... I thought it was yeah. smart to push that button and just yeah, say, for sure. I don't know if this is going to work, but let's give it three or four games and see what happens because we're not getting anything out of out of Reggie. Um, the flip side of that, too, is the other thing that I think that that hey, that kid has done well with this is not burying Reggie um, and just saying, you know, you can't make a shot so you're not getting like they've done a really nice they've done a nice job of kind of nursing him along to get him back into the rotation. Um, instead of just like, like there was a, there was a game or two in there where he wasn't playing much at all. He had like 12 minutes, I think against the, maybe the nuggets or something. One of those games in there, he, he, he was really, he's really been out of the rotation, but for the most part, I think they've done a good job of finding spots for him to play and, and continuing to make him because the deal is at least as far as the way as, as how the roster is constructed right now, you need Reggie Bullock in the playoffs. You need him to be on the floor as much as you can get him on the floor because Tim Hardaway Jr. is not a very good defender. Spencer Dinwiddie is a terrible defender. Uh, all of these other things that we know about the defense, you need Reggie to make the defense work. And I think they've done a really good job of limiting the negative that you're getting when he's not making shots without just like cutting him loose and just being like, and killing his confidence and, and saying, you know, whether you say it or not, just essentially making it clear that he's not part of what they're doing long-term for this well, and season. One thing we learned season. last year from like Nick's beat writers and other people that paid more attention than we did is that he's a notoriously slow starter. Yep. Um, so last year he kind of started this way. It didn't feel as bad last year. I think we were grumpy about it because we had just signed him. And it's like, what the heck man, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't as bad this year. It's been pretty rough and it's been atrocious um but he seems to be getting out of that funk now at least he's on the he's on the right path to kind of breathe get a little bit of a breath i guess uh so you know if that's the case then at least we know that about him you know i and and so that that helps this year knowing that hey if he starts turning it around then you know we're we're good because like last year he by the end of the year he was he was rock solid with yeah with stuff and then he was great in the playoffs with that stuff too. And so, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I'm more okay with that, but I, I do, I think it's good that we were able to pull him out now without yeah. it being, uh, you know, a problem. And it's by all accounts, it seems like he's accepting whatever mm-hmm. he needs to accept to help out. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Um, in December, he's nine of 20 from three. So like that's, I, he probably needs to shoot more than that um, when he's on the floor. You can definitely tell the confidence is not totally there, and he is um, hesitating on shots that he should take. Then I, I think some of the problem with Reggie is just he's <laughs> he is an A plus uh, 
cutter. He's like a he is really good at getting himself open, and he's playing with the guy who's like best or second best in the league at finding the open player like that. So his misses just feel like such backbreakers because it's yeah. like, dude, you're open by forty feet. I he's got wide open on the corner. Basket. You had the easiest yeah. shot yes. in your in and your- <laughs> and we saw this last year, and it has continued this year. He is the freaking king of missing shots that are wide open and then making the shot right after the whistle. Like the <laughs> ball flings, slings to him and the whistle blows and he's like, cool, I'll go ahead and shoot this. And he cans every single one of those after he just missed three straight when the game, you're just like, dude, I would really rather you not even make that. Yeah. Like it's killing please, me please to watch those. that happen. <laughs> like, can you just do the Vince Carter and shoot with your left hand or something? Like, please, please stop doing this. It's such a... Such a backbreaker, but um, you know, but defensively, his stats are still there. He's still he's still doing what he needs to do defensively for the most part. Um, so it, it's it's livable right now. But you're right, sure. like it's it's one of those things where, like, yeah, it's great to start, you know, Hardaway now. But when we need Bullock to guard Curry for 40 minutes a game and right. hit open right. threes, like that's not going to go the same with Hardaway out there. Like we yeah. have to have him out there guarding the point guards whenever we're in the playoffs. So right. exactly. let him get right, but he's, he, he has to get right. Yep. So I think that I think there's things have, have gone well on that front of, of kind of bringing him back into without sacrificing you without just continuing to just stick him out there and just hope that he figures out how to shoot it. They've have made some changes and, and, and I think that's, that's helped. Um, you know, what would help more is if our front office had recognized that they were going to need another ball handler and maybe even somebody who could defend the point of attack and had gone after that instead of JaVale McGee, who is like leading the team in DNPs at this point. Um, that would, that would be really nice. Do you know how much, do you know how much Javon Carter's making this year, Tobin? Oh, I'm sure it's like $3 million. Yeah. $2.5 million, $2.5 million. (laughs) He's been a position that they, (laughs) that they, the Mavs badly needed. And maybe he would have. Maybe he would have said hey, with the Bucks, no and, matter what. And he is, maybe the Bucks would have matched it. I don't know, but I sure would have made that call. I sure would have liked my team to make that call instead of signing another freaking center that can't play. I, good lord. And he's also very similar to Jalen Brunson in a lot of ways too. He's not as good, clearly, but yes. you know, he's he's. I, I I'm a big Javon Carter guy. You know that. So I yeah, I would have loved can, to see that happen. Can I tell you? I think. This isn't even on our little run sheet here. Now we're going to run back into the frustration side of things. I think I've thought about this a lot. Every team, every team makes mistakes. Every team makes lots of mistakes. This happens. Um, It's your front office is never perfect. Sometimes you think, um, oh, I thought of a a good example the other day. Now I don't know. Sometimes you think this this, player A is going to be able to give you twenty five minutes a game. Um, any and of of quality basketball, and he can't. And sometimes you 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 make an assumption about the development of a player over the off season, and then that player doesn't develop the right way, and things like that. This stuff happens. Um, you miss on draft picks, things like this. I think the thing that frustrates me the most with the with the this Mavs off season that we're still talking about in December is that. You and I are freaking idiots. You and I are like sitting in our home offices watching the Lakers and the Celtics on TNT with no data and not paying for cleaning the glass and second spectrum and and all this kind of stuff. 
and we have multiple jobs between us and this is a hobby and we're idiots. And if you would have just said, hey, Tobin and Brian, um, you're in charge of the Mavs this summer um, or for at least in free agency. Okay, you're in charge of our free agency push. You can't make any wild trades. You can't like force cool stuff like 2K or whatever. (laughs) Like, hey, who, who should we go after? Who should we sign? And if you go back and you listen to our episodes from around that time. You and I would have said, well, um, I think Otto Porter Jr. could probably help, but I know he's going to be a health issue, and that is exactly what has happened in Toronto. He's not playing very much, but that's the deal. And I would have said, uh, yeah, I, really, I think Bruce Brown would really help this team, and he ended up getting a contract that is essentially the same that JaVale McGee got. Bruce Brown would absolutely be helping this thing. Javon Carter would help this thing. I'd go after him. Look what Javon Carter has done in Milwaukee filling in for – Chris Middleton and Drew, Drew Holiday throughout all this sort of stuff. Um, I would sign Goran Dragic. Well, but he's just a mascot. Okay, well, I still think that there's some value there. Well, look what he's done for the most part in Chicago in a limited role. I think that's the thing that drives me the craziest is not that they messed up with this Jamal McGee thing that they, they're like, I, they would be so happy to get off his contract at this point immediately, immediately that they screwed that up. It's that you and I as two idiots were right, and the people who get paid to do this were not right. I think that's the thing that drives me the craziest. Like, it would be a lot easier to stomach if I was coming on this show in July and be like, man, I hope we signed JaVale McGee. I think he'd really take us over the top. I'd feel so much better about <laughs> where we're at right now. You and I should never be right when Nico Harrison and Mark Cuban and Jason Kidd are wrong. That shouldn't, that just shouldn't happen. We're yeah. idiots. That shouldn't happen. Drives the only thing crazy. you have to hope is that maybe they were... I don't know, in on those guys, and we just didn't know about it, but it's just, it doesn't seem like that was the case, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I don't, I don't think they were, I mean, look, we never know what's happening behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they were, and they, maybe Bruce Brown's client, or, or, or agents just were like, nope, we're not interested. Um, But I imagine he would be, because he only got two years, and, and the Mavs gave McGee three years. So, I, I just remember last, last summer, Every single, there were just so many guys that were moving. I'm like, I would have that. We talked about that. I would have done that like right there. I would have done that deal and called it a day. Like, let alone the Brunson stuff. It's just very basic things that you could have said, Hey, this would help. That guy would help. That guy would help. And they just, no, we think Frank Nilakina can be the, the backup point guard essentially on this team. So no problem. Um, just little things like that driving me. Driving me a little bit crazy. I'm gonna try to stop talking about the off season, but it it's really been really been bugging me. Um, over over as we move into trade season, I think that has like my angst about the summer has been renewed because they botched the summer so badly that now you're in a position where we understand that there's not a, that this team is doesn't have a ton of assets that they can use to make a big move. But it would be nice to be able to to make a move, you know, move or two kind of around the margins to like solidify the team. Hey, this guy's we need a we need a, a, a Reggie backup in case Reggie's shooting doesn't come around or whatever. We need to be able to figure these things out. We can make this kind of a small roster move or whatever. You're in a place now because you botched the offseason so badly. You're going to have to be any moves you're going to make is going to just be making up for how badly you screwed up the summer. And I don't know that you can make two or three of those moves. I think this is probably a one move at most 
kind of season because you because you have so few assets and because you're going to have to kind of wait it out on the Knicks pick that you're sending out and because you're going to have to kind of hoard the picks that you have so that eventually, hopefully, next year or the, the year after, you can make that big trade for, you know, the, the second star that we always have to bring up when we're talking about about yeah. Luca and stuff. It, it's 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 renewed my angst because I would love to be able to say, hey, they could make a move for this guy, this guy, or this guy. But I think, how are they going to pull this off and make the team better and not just be a lateral move or like, you know, 1.25 steps forward, one step back kind of move. And and because they screwed up the offseason so badly. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm re- renewed um, over over the last couple of weeks. Let's talk about Jason Kidd for a second. Um, I am not a fire the coach guy. I know you're not either. If I was the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, I I don't believe that that Jason Kidd would have been my coach after the Raptors game. I think I would have, I think I would have become a fire the coach guy at that point. Um, and if I didn't fire the coach there, I think I would have fired the coach after the second Milwaukee game as well. I think that I think that there are I think that those are two games that are just completely unacceptable and that the coaching staff is the the the, the coaching in those games is unacceptable. Um and I don't know how many you can I don't know how you how many games you can continue to throw away with poor coaching without something changing quickly right now we're, I I'm in a real bad place with, with the coaching at this point, Tobin, I don't know where, where, where do you stand with this? I, I am absolutely not a fire the coach guy either. And I, I think I did say after the Raptors game that I, I don't know where, I don't know how this can get better without firing the coach. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, is that it doesn't do you any good to do it right now and put an interim tag on. Mm. I think that's probably where we differ. Um, mm-hmm. If you can get somebody in here like Quinn, like it, it, with Quinn Snyder sitting out there, mm-hmm. that's the thing that makes it hard is that if we fire him now or soon, yes we can go get the early jump on Quinn Snyder because he's going to be a, 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 a wanted name. And there mm-hmm. might, and maybe the, the, again, we don't have inside information. I, I do think there's a world where he's, he's waiting on the Spurs. Um, he might have inside information about that already. Um, but because there is a coach out there who can come in now and probably be more effective almost immediately, it makes mm-hmm. it hard not to kind of question, well, what are we doing? The, the, the sucky thing about this is that the kid came in last year and blew us all away. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a freaking coach of the year possible candidate, you know, and mm-hmm. and now he's doing what we thought he was going to do um, on the court. He just has no – his rotations have been terrible. Um, those have seemed to settle down a little bit. He's picked this fight with Christian Wood for some reason mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in a second – um, his ATOs are terrible. I mean, they're just af- absolutely Atrocious. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of that's not fair to him that we had a coach that that was his bread and butter. Um, mm-hmm. but it's like I, I want to see kid either get better at that stuff 
or bringing in coaches that are going to do that for him. And last year, the saving grace was our defense went up astronomically, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that's maintaining this year, at least not right now. Um, and so it makes it hard to keep him around whenever you have somebody like Quinn Snyder sitting out there. Now, if the answer is fire Jason Kidd and make Sweeney interim coach, I'm out. I don't want to do that. I like I that isn't. That gets that basically is is waving the white flag on a season where Luca is an MVP candidate, and we're still in the playoffs. And like I, that doesn't make any sense to me if you're going to do that. Um, we don't have the next coach of the Mavs on this on this sideline, I don't think. And so, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But you know, like mm-hmm. when when Donnie walked away, Big mm-hmm. Don. When Big Don walked away in 2005, whatever it was, 2004. Like we knew we had what we thought was our next coach. We knew that already. We knew that he was going to be our next coach even before Donnie mm-hmm. talked about leaving. I don't feel the same way right now. So I don't really, <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of him unless they're going to bring in Quinn Snyder or, you know, somebody that we don't know about that they're already talking to. Um, so yeah, I just, I, but, but also things have got to get better. They have to. They, 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 he has to. He yeah. has to have better game plans and better ATOs. In and it, it, it seems like we are seeing more outward frustration towards him on the floor as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um. I think that here, here are the things that I've seen from Kid on the positive side. Um. I think the he, he the vibe last year he fixed the vibe big time and we didn't realize how bad it was with 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 Carlisle, um, especially the last couple of seasons. But but he 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 did he he transformed that and some of the culture and made things better on that front and that's really valuable. Um, I don't think that that's translating this season, but you know maybe I'm just giving credit for what he did last year. Uh, Josh Green's development, I I. I put fully, if not on kid, then on the coaching staff. So um, that is a huge win because he's yeah. been invaluable this season. And re- I mean, a legitimate part of what they're doing successfully, the defense, the defensive energy goes up so much when he comes in the game because he just, it's infectious and in everything that he's doing. And, and you can now have him be on the floor because he's, because they've empowered him a little bit. Um, not just as like it's not just that he's shooting better than he did last year. It's it's at least to me, it feels like there's real empowerment. He's been he's been told, do this, do that. Here's what we need you to do. Here's what we want you to do. Here's what you're capable of doing. Um, and that really wasn't the case the first couple of years here. So I and I, I think that's kid. I think that's kid and his staff anyway, and they did a really good job with it. Like I mentioned, I think you know, swapping Hardaway and Bullock, but still maintaining both of them as part of this whole thing. I think it was really great. And not all coaches would do that. I thought he coached a really good game. The last five minutes of the Nuggets win in Denver the other night, um, fouling up three, the rotations, the way that he, you know, mixed and matched and people, um, I thought was good. Everything else is bad though. Like everything else. Like I, I, uh, I, I typically, I would say this. I think that there are a few things that you can point at, whether you're talking NBA, college, high school, whatever. And you can say, here are some things that coaches 
over the course of, of a 10 or 20 game stretch, not on a night to night, especially in the NBA, night to night, anything can go right or anything can go wrong in the NBA. But over 10 or 20 games, you can, you can look at preparation, free throw shooting, and energy, and what you're doing out of timeouts. Those four things are all at least a big portion of it is coaching. And then, or, and, and I had pushback about free throws on, on Twitter the other day from somebody who also retweets Pierce Morgan a lot. So I'm not real interested in the opinion. Um, yes, the players have to make the free throws, but if a team is consistently shooting poor free, a poor free throw percentage, especially from players from across the roster, from players who have historically made free throws, Something is wrong in the coaching when that is happening consistently. It's I th- that translates to like middle school almost. Um, those are four areas where the Mavericks are awful on an on a at least you could say where the Mavericks are inconsistent on a night to night basis. And to me, at a certain point, that has to come back on on the coach. I. Being shocked that the that the freaking Raptors, the most like innovative, try things out, experiment, mad scientist kind of coaching in the NBA, that they that the Mavs were unprepared for the the Raptors to just double team Luca the entire game is indefensible. Is indefensible, and that's coaching. That's you're putting that on the coach. The last year was so weird. We watched. We watched those ATOs, and it never looked like they were doing anything incredible for the most part, you know. They, but they had the highest uh, field goal percentage coming out of timeouts in the league for long stretches of the season. So it was kind of a weird thing to watch that take place and be like, I'm not sure that the eye test is is telling me the same thing that the that the data is telling me. But but then you would start to see some of that play out a little bit more. ATOs this season are a disaster, Tobin. Like every single time, the Mav- there is a greater likelihood that the Mavs are going to turn the ball over coming out of the timeout than they are to draw up some cool play that's going to result in an easy look at a bu- at a bucket. It's the the embarrassment that I had the other night after that Bucks loss when somebody did Grant El- wh- whoever when somebody did a breakdown of the Bucks knew that this play was coming because the Mavs have already run it three times this season. It's the same exact play. And Luca's the only one on the court who recognized the only one on the court, including the, the coaching staff that recognized that, Hey, the Bucks know what's coming. We got to switch this up and just being screwed by it because no one else knew what to do or paid any attention to it. I, these are indefensible mistakes at this point. And I don't know, man, I I'm, I'm with you in that I do not like an interim tag either. I think it's a it's a bad way to do things and it it you run the risk of wasting a season, but I'm kind of getting to a point where it feels like we're wasting a season anyway. And I might take the risk and just say, fine, Sean Sweeney, you're in charge and we'll figure something else out in the offseason. Obviously, Quinn Snyder, if if I can get him I'm getting him, but unfortunately our owner probably lost a lot of money in FTX. So I don't know how viable paying two head coaches at the same time is at this point. Yeah. The other thing we're not talking about too is 
Cuban is not going to turn his back on a former Maverick. Yeah. And a guy that's, you know, a part of the team and, you know, has his name on the court. And, and so, <laughs> God, so stupid. Uh, you're not going to like this, but I, I think what we need to, what we need to see is the front office is going to do a lot in the, between the trade deadline and the off season, uh, you know, before next season, they need to revamp his coaching staff and around him to, to give him pieces that will do that kind of stuff and basically say, this is your season to get that figured out or you're gone. And that's probably, that's probably the more likely scenario of what's going to happen. But I mean, not, yeah, if, if you told me tomorrow morning, Hey, kids out and Snyder's in, I'd be like, all right, let's go. Like, I love Jason Kidd. I don't want him to be this way. It's the same kind of thing I went through with, you know, Kingsbury as the head coach of Texas Tech football of, I love Cliff Cliff Kingsbury, but when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback and you're only winning six games a year, like, that's just not going to work. And it was, that was a sad firing. It was, but it needed to happen. And so we're, I don't think we're there yet. I think we are there. I think you and I are there and other fans are there. Um, but it doesn't seem like the players are there yet. And so, but I think it's, I think it's, it could be on the horizon if we don't figure some crap out in the next, you know, stretch before February. I just, at a certain point, you got to be tired. If you're a player, you got to be tired of him going out for every press conference and just acting like he had nothing to do with what just happened. Like the dude. I don't need my coach in the NBA, especially up and like yelling and moving around the whole game and all that kind of stuff. That's one way to do. There's, there's different ways to coach. I get it. Like it feels like he's just standing there or sitting there doing nothing. The vast majority of the game. And when these things that you usually put on coaching are not going well, when you, when he then comes out in the press conference and just kind of acts like, Oh, I don't know. I I, I don't know. (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) I I don't know. Luca screaming at the coaching staff after that Bucks game, I think, was indicative of things are not going great. Um, if it's just, can can you just bring in somebody who can draw up a freaking play? Can we do that? Can yeah, we find a high school saying. coach somewhere that can, that can help with this? Was that all Igor last year? I don't I don't get it. I don't I don't understand. Every single ATO is just Luca starts in the paint somewhere and runs to the ball. That's it. That's all they do every single time. And there's got to be ways to figure out action that works, that gets somebody else open, that gets Luca moving downhill instead of away from the basket. It's 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 beyond frustrating. So I'm with you. Like I don't think that they're going to fire him. That would go against everything I know about Cuban, but like, unless Luca goes in and says, I'm done, or it's, it's me or him, you know, um, which I don't think, I don't think he's capable of no. doing at this point. Um, I, my biggest worry is not even that, that this year is, is going to be kind of a lost season or at least is going to be a, Hey Luca, just, you're just going to have to put us on your back and take us as far as you can take us. But that if, if, that going into next season, that's the real issue to me. Like if they go into next season with him as the coach and we start to see these same things, now you've lost, you, you've basically wasted two seasons right after a conference finals. Yeah. Uh, but that's why, which by the way, every NBA podcast keeps saying that it's probably kind of a fluke. I don't believe it's a fluke. I don't think I'm biased about that. No, it's not the Hawks kind but, of fluke, it, but yeah. 
Anyway, um, but like if you if you go and say like, hey, you know, there is a world where it's like, hey, we're gonna bring, we're gonna see if we can convince Vogel to come in and be your defensive guy. Maybe we can get, you know, I don't know, like Dwayne Casey comes back, or uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's gonna be guys that you could say, I mean, shoot, like, <laughs> I mean, I would have said Jacques Vaughn, but he he might actually keep that job, honestly. Yeah, they gave him a contract, so he's staying. Yeah, yeah but you know, like there's there's guys that are going to get canned that you can probably say to bring in as associate head coaches and do these things that he's not necessarily great at. Um, but that's but that's a the best realistic case scenario, and and that's that also includes you having to convince these one time head coaches to come be second fiddle to a guy who probably doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so, yeah. um, <clears throat> so you're right. I just. Again, it's a weird situation because you don't usually have somebody like Quinn Snyder or, I mean, I know it's not the same case, but like Ime Yudoka sitting there waiting to be picked up in the middle of a season. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe somebody gets fired that, that we weren't expecting or leaves and it opens up the door for, you know, I shoot, I don't know, maybe, maybe Nick Nurse gets canned and then we <laughs> say, hey, actually, you know, or... You know, I don't know. There's, there's definitely a world where there's somebody available that we don't know about yet. It's just, I, I, I just don't like the idea of, you know, throwing him out just to make Sweeney or Daryl Armstrong a head coach. It doesn't make any sense to me to do that right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I will, I will fully admit. I think part of this for me is that Quinn Snyder's out there, and I would sure I, the the. For as much as Utah like kind of struggled, certainly struggled in the playoffs under under um, almost said Vogel under Quinn Snyder. I, I think that the just from an X's and O's standpoint, like he's a Snyder fantastic coach, hundred billion times yeah. better than Kid. And right now, I would really like to have some X's and O's because I think this team could really benefit from that. And by all um, accounts, Mitchell and liked him. It wasn't he yeah. wasn't the problem why he wanted out, and so. If he if he knows how to deal with the superstar like Mitchell, he can deal with Luca. He's yeah. definitely going to be a better X's and O's coach than Jason Kidd is, and you know he's not going to put up with crap either. And so like that's yeah, like I, I, I'm with you. Like if he, if he came out and said I want a job, then I'd I'd probably do that today. But you know the, maybe they know maybe they know that he's not interested. Yeah, or it, there's we never got we've never gotten like full. We don't know the deal, the contract deal with mm-hmm. with the Jazz and everything. So maybe it's not even a possible. Maybe he's going to the Spurs. Maybe he's just enjoying family time. I don't know. But the other thing about this too uh, is that they they crap the bed against the Bucks, and you and I both are like, okay, that's it, get rid of him. Like you can't shoot ten for twenty four from the line and do that. And then they obviously lost to the Bulls. That felt like a, a reset of we're going to sit Luca, we're going to sit these guys, and we're going to come back. And then they came back and they showed up last night and they did what they were supposed yeah. to do. So, I mean. That's the frustrating thing is like they, every time you would, you or I come out and say, "All right, get rid of them." That's it. Then they come out and have an awesome win, like the next game. And so yeah. it's just so I think that that there's a world where they can make this work. It's just they they need to they have got to get it figured out, you know, in this next stretch, or else, you know, with the way that the West is right now and the way that these teams are playing, you you can't be in this this muck of middle of the road teams, whatever yeah. things start shaking out, especially with the trade deadline looming, like you need to know where you're at so you can make a decision on what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll close here. Cause I, the last thing I'll say is 
<laughs> I think that Jason Kidd is right about Christian Wood, and I would like to get Christian Wood off of my basketball team. I'm not. I uh, think that there's a world that that's coming to a fruition. So I think there has to be because they're clearly not going to give him a contract extension at this point. And he's one of the, his contract is in that fourteen and a half million dollar range. Like you can make a real move financially with him. Um, like you can go up quite a bit, and it it has they have to do something with that contract because he's clearly not a part of their future. Now I want to be clear: the way that kid has handled Christian Wood is ridiculous and stupid mm. and subtweety, and is like, why are we spending time with like? trying to make him look bad i think instead of just using what the the gm has given you to work with um i think that the handling of it has been awful but the more i watch christian wood the more i think i think jason kidd just hates this guy as a basketball player and i totally agree i do not enjoy i don't enjoy what he is bringing to the table there was a play against um i think it was the the suns game where Hardaway is on a heater because he's been on a heater all the last like nine games. And it was like a, a transition opportunity. Wood was in the corner. Hardaway caught the ball at the wing. There's one defender between the two of them. And, you know, just trying to pick between the two of them. Hardaway ends up firing the three. It was the and it, and it wasn't even a gunner shot. It was the right shot because Hardaway, again, is on a heater and he was open. It was a, it was a great, it was a great shot and he canned it. And Wood is standing there in the corner. This is a, such a small little thing, but I think it's indicative of a lot of what I see with him. Wood is standing in the corner. He has his hands up for the pass that that's not coming, you know, cause Hardaway is shooting and he leaves his hands up and just watches Hardaway all the way through until the shot goes through the basket. Just that passive aggressive. Hey, I was open. And it's like, that's some pickup basketball kind of bull crap that I do not need on a basketball team that is trying to win uh, a championship or compete for a championship. And again, it's a very small moment, but there's lots of little moments like that where he's not being outwardly toxic or anything like that. But my impression of Christian Wood prior to coming to Dallas has always been that this guy is just kind of a loser and doesn't totally get it, get what it takes to be um, on a good basketball team and help a good basketball team win a lot of games. And that is what I see consistently from him night in and night out. I think he's trying. I don't think he's trying to be a, you know, a bad, a bad locker room guy or a bad teammate or any of that stuff. I think that he's attempting to do what he's being asked to do. And his coach is certainly not putting him in a great position to do that. But also, I see a lot of of characteristics and traits that make me feel like I get why this why why one of the best teammate guys in the history of the NBA, who's now the head coach, thinks this guy doesn't get it and doesn't do the things that I need a teammate to do to be good mm-hmm. in this league. So, okay, I, <clears throat> last thing, and then we'll get out of here. But just to put that to the test, we have been linked to Nerlens Noel by the Pistons. And I don't know if the Pistons are even want him to come back, but Christian Wood for Nerlens Noel and Corey Joseph. Do you do it? I don't think that's enough. Okay. For us. Um, I will say, I think the Pistons, there's like five or six guys on that team who aren't really part of their core that could help this team. Um, 
but Corey Joseph and Nerlens. That's the only thing that works money wise <clears throat> if you only use Christian Wood. If you start adding, surely Bob, Alec Burks works. Alec Burks is like eight or ten million. It's it, you have to cut. It's if you do Alec Burks and Nerlens, it's too much money. Okay, throw in Nilakina or something. Yeah. So you I mean, to, like I. This is why I don't do fake trades because I always feel like you 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 do you say hey about this and then somebody somebody listens and says that's an idiotic thing to say that's just how all like fake trades are to me yeah but no i think i think there's i think that there's when you take that that 14 million you and you can take back 125% that takes you up into the 17 17 and a half million you can you, there's things that you can do with that um whether it's but i don't think that i i think that noel Noel, I would look at as somebody who's like a Powell replacement if if we had to move Powell in an, in another move in another trade yeah. or Bogdanovich comes back in this direction. Okay, cool. We'll give us Noel because we clearly can't play Javale McGee. We'll do, we'll take our chances with yeah. with Noel as our as our our kind of nominal center. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, both of those guys, I think, could help. I think Burks could help. Although with Hardaway coming along, like now, those two guys are kind of redundant. Uh, you know, I've always loved Sadiq Bay. Obviously, I'd be happy to have him, although he has regressed this season and shooting like under 30% from three. Um, but I'd love to take a chance on that. And then obviously, I'd love to have Bogdanovich. I, the Mavs, I think the whole NBA missed on that one pretty badly this summer. He's been great 100%. in Detroit. Yeah. So I'd like to have that. But yes, I think that we are at the point now where I think we're in the last two months of Christian Wood's um, existence with the Mavs. I don't think that. I think they have to move on from him because that's the only, the only legitimate way that you can put money together to improve to improve the team. So, so, um, and I think that it would be smart to do that because clearly you're not going to give him an extension. He's not going to be here long term. So, <clears throat> all right, let's get out of here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back next week, certainly with a uh, a full regular spread the floor episode and maybe with the Mavs time as well, or that may be every other week or so, but be on the lookout for that. And until then, shut it down. Let's go. It's a wrap. That is a wrap.